You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And good morning or good afternoon, whatever the case may be. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's only live call-in show, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff Werber. Happy to have you with me this morning or this afternoon. Um, but it is a call-in show. You know what that means. That means we need to call in. Very easy, 877-385-8882. Just give us a call. Actually, an easy way to do it now is to go online and join in on the conversation. What you do is when you click on the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab. And then if you just follow down where you can join the conversation, we are going to have a link. It's a Google Hangouts link where you can actually join us live. If you're sitting in front of your, your laptop and you have a little camera, that's we, we can actually, you can see us, we can see you. You can even have your pet with you, which makes it so much easier. So if your pet has that funny lump or that funny growth on the skin and you've been dying to ask your veterinarian, but you don't want to spend the bucks, it's free, free advice. So join us here live on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Once again, the phone number, the good old-fashioned way, is 877-385-8882. You can join us now or log in. You can also send me an email. If you're really shy, don't be shy. But if you're really shy, then you can just send me an email to drjeff, that's Dr. Jeff, at Pet Life Radio. It will be sent to me, forwarded, and I will answer your email. If you'd like to talk to me, you can certainly just include your phone number, and I will give you a call. That's what I do. I try to help people with their pets, their pet problems. If I can help you solve something without having to run to the veterinarian, then I feel I've succeeded. So if nothing else, I may confirm that you need to go to your vet. So uh, it works both ways. So uh, anyway, the big story of the day, and I, and I, of course, was not planning on opening with this, but I'm going to put my eyeballs on. I'm going to read this to you. I'm sure any of you that in the horse world have heard that yesterday at Pimlico, you know, in one of the early races, that's before they start the actual main Pimlico race, two horses, this is very unusual, two horses died. What's amazing, in the first race, a nine-year-old gelding, his name was Homeboy Chris. Homeboy Chris actually won the race. He was horse number three. He edged out. It was like one of those photo finishes. And he goes into the winner's circle and he gets his picture taken with his jockey and the owners and et cetera, et cetera. And then heading back to his stall at the stables, he just drops and dies right there in the spot. That is really, really interesting. I mean, very sad, of course. And you start wondering just what could cause that. Of course, they think uh, it was a cardiovascular collapse of some kind. Uh, They were going to take the horse over to the New Bolton Center at the University of Pennsylvania Veterinary School, a very, very uh, well-known veterinary school, and they're going to do an autopsy. But, you know, you have to start thinking. There are, you know, first of all, as we know, the horse race industry is extremely regulated. I mean, these are probably the more most regulated athletes of anyone, and they are always tested, and there are long lists of medications and drugs that are permissible based on different issues. But the question remains, are we over-medicating these horses before a race? What are we doing wrong, or is this, could this be a fluke? You know, so it's interesting. I do a lot of reporting for, for Fox. And um, I actually, uh, we got a call yesterday from Fox and Friends that wanted to do an interview about these two deaths. And um, unfortunately, being here in California, on the West Coast, that would put me in the studio 
at 3.15 a.m. Thank you very much. But I, there are other places I'd rather be at 3.15 in the morning. But I will tell you, and as I mentioned to them, you know, I am, as, as any of you know, listening to me, I am, you know, more the small animal veterinarian. I have not really worked with horses since one of my major jobs before veterinary school, where I worked with a major equine surgeon. I was literally his chief scrub nurse going into every surgery. It was a phenomenal experience. And of course, in vet school, I did my equine rotations. But, you know, ever since I graduated uh, about 32 years ago, I've been working small animals. So and the first thing is I said, I look, admittedly, I don't know as much. I'm not as comfortable speaking about horses as I am small animals, dogs and cats for sure. I said, but not only that, the horse racing industry is really, it is an industry by itself. I mean, just because even a, a regular equine veterinarian who doesn't work in that racing world may not know all the nuances of what's allowed, what's not allowed, what's expected, what's typical. And the clincher for me to say, you know what, why don't you find an equine vet, a real racehorse doc to comment about these deaths? Because I heard that PETA was all over this. And then they were getting into, uh, obviously, a major controversial thing going on with PETA. That's the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals. And um, you don't want to get an argument. I mean, these are such touchy subjects. You just don't want to you know, get yourself involved unless you know it really, really well, something I don't. But it was so interesting. As I was kind of doing my homework, I read a statistic from the racing world that in 2015, there were 1.64 deaths per 1,000 races, not horses, races. So if you figure that, I mean, if you look at that as a percent, it's less than 0.02 because if you figure, that, just divide that by 1,000 from 0.16, let's, let's round up to 0.2, and then you get a tenth of that is 0.02, right? And then you will end up with a, say what, 10 horses per race? So, I mean, the number is so minuscule. Then, in reading all this stuff and reading the response and how, how badly PETA was all over this, their numbers were like, they're saying that, according to New York Times article from 2012, 24 horses die each week at racetracks in the United States. So, now again, I don't know how many races are being run, but that's a far cry from you know 1.6 deaths or 2014, it was 1.89 Still, under two deaths per thousand races. Well, to get 24 per week, do the math. That's, I don't think there are that many races. So clearly, the numbers by whomever wants to prove their point are somewhat being manipulated. And the, the answer is, I don't have the answer. I would love to hear if anyone out there listening knows anything about the horse racing world to help us out here. But that just seems like a lot of deaths. If you're looking at 24 horses die each week at racetracks. Now, right there, just by that line alone, they die at racetracks. Well, does that mean that they died in a race? We have no idea. Uh, they could be treated for other ailments. To, look, our dogs and cats get sick and die from cancer and diseases and, and organ dysfunctions and organ failures. That same thing happens in horses. So if it happens to a, a racing horse and it, the, the horse is at the track, which is many of them are kept on in their stables and their nearby farms that have the, the nearby the racetracks. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they died from a race. The discrepancy between these two numbers is just too great. So I'm going to do some more homework. I'm going to try to uh, find out some answers about this because that intrigued me. At first, I thought, oh, God, that's, that's really not a bad number when you think about it. 
And then all of a sudden, PETA's coming up with this number of 24 per week. That uh, certainly opens up some, uh, some eyes about the industry. And of course, they made a statement that even though the medications that are being used are legal, that they are being overmedicated. They're being overmedicated to enhance their performance, to try to minimize the effects of racing. And unfortunately, in certain cases, these bad things can happen. And the other death, apparently, and again, the track itself was a little bit wet and yet not so wet that the race was called. As a matter of fact, according to all the other jockeys, it was no different than they've, you know, in tracks they've run anywhere else in the country. So, but it was a little wet. And in the fourth race, a four-year-old actually from the same breeders, the same owners as Barbro, that's the horse that collapsed at the Preakness a few years ago. And this was also a major, major problem. So, you know, two horses at the Preakness, Pimlico Downs in, in Maryland, both go down. And uh, sadly, one of the horses w- was from the same trainers and breeders as uh, Barbaro. So, and that horse had to be destroyed right away. It broke its cannon bone in the front leg. And, you know, the, the problem is with these racehorses. And this one, I understand. I mean, we break a leg, we don't get put to sleep. I, I mean, let's face it. Certainly, if a, a fracture or a, a break is bad enough, the worst scenario, the worst of the worst would be an amputation of sorts if it was from a terrible accident and it couldn't be salvaged. But horses, this is the hard part for a lot of people to understand. It is also a business. This horse is here for one purpose and one purpose only. And if it is not a breeder and the, the pain involved and rehab for these 1,200, 1,300-pound animals, okay, is very difficult. Actually, in Barbaro, they actually did try to fix the leg. They did fix it, and yet he had to be put down about several months later, or maybe it was less than a year later, but close to a year later, because of laminitis. And that is a severely, terribly painful inflammation in the foot. So they tried to fix it, and they could have used him as a breeding horse. These horses rarely can make it back onto the racetrack. It's not like an athlete. The, the weight that they carry is simply way too much for these legs. So yes, they could be repaired. They could be repaired to, to be pets. They could be you know ridden. Just they, they can't race anymore, typically. Now, of course, depending on the injury, but I would say most. But again, it's one of those things where it's a huge, huge issue. Not one that I wanted to get involved in. Not, also because I just don't know enough about it. But if anyone out there is uh, familiar with the, the racing world and wants to give us a call, that's 877-385-8882. We would love to hear from you and just get an insight uh, from either perspective, either from one who is very much against racing or one who is aware and, and knows the nuances of the horse racing world. But it would be really great to hear some opinions. Anyway, it was a very sad day. But uh, other than that, the Preakness was run. Uh, that's always the big race. But uh, sad day at Pimlico Downs. Anyway, so here we are. The time flies by. We are at that halfway point. We must take a commercial break. I want to thank our sponsors in advance, Kong Veterinary Products, Elanco Lilly, ProSense Pet Products, Save This Life Microchip for helping us here with the show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. I'd love to hear from you once again, 877-385-8882. Don't be bashful. Give us a call. Don't go away. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's hard to find time for your furry family member. That's where Camp Bow Wow comes in. All day play and overnight camp. Daycare and boarding for dogs. Everything is included. Large play areas for fun and exercise. 
spacious cabins, comfy cots, even live camper cams to watch from a computer or smartphone. Camp Bow Wow offers the best care and is the place to go where a dog can be a dog. For locations and more information, visit CampBowWow.com. Yuppie Puppy City Kitty provides pet lovers an opportunity to earn up to 50% commission selling our premium pet products. Advocate Gina Brick says the opportunity to share such a quality product line with other pet lovers is amazing. The support of the Yuppie Puppy City Kitty family while working the business is a true gift. Mention special code PETLIFE when you enroll today and receive three additional products free. Find us at www.ypckpets.com. That's ypckpets.com. Begging to hear more of your favorite show? Full episodes of all our shows are available on demand. Go to PetLifeRadio.com to fetch our entire lineup of possum pet podcasts. Also, dig us up in iHeartRadio Talk and iTunes. Let's talk pets. Live and on demand only from Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. Um, you're here with Dr. Jeff Werber live. We were just talking about the, the sadness over at Pimlico Downs at the Preakness uh, yesterday. Um, and by the way, for those of you who even follow racing, uh, the uh, Nyquist who ran who won the Kentucky Derby and was hoping to be another Triple Crown winner didn't make it because exaggerator beat him out. And uh, so, so there goes that. It's really tough. Just so you know, the fact that it happens so infrequently to win all three of these races and, uh, I guess it's less drama now because it, it would be much more drama if, if a horse wins both the Derby and the Preakness, right? And then, you know, was, is going to lose at Belmont. But uh, so uh, this way, it's not, uh, it's not so terrible. Anyway, once again, I would really like to hear, just please uh, give us a call if anybody knows more about this, this industry. One of the, one of the uh, I was just reading a quote from PETA, and what they were saying was, is that a lot of legal drugs are used regularly, to help mask symptoms of underlying disease so these horses can race, whether it's an injury or disease. So they're using things that are legal. But, you know, is it really wise if a dog, I have the dog, there there is my brain, if a horse has an underlying condition, but you really want him to race, why do you want him to race so badly? Because it's a money game. That's all it is. I mean, it's, it's truly an industry. And it's a business. It's a huge business. Of course, would they like a world where there was no racing at all? Of course they would. I'm talking to the animal rights world out there. But if you're going to let these horses race, if you're going to play this money game, at the very least, let's keep them safe. And if there's an injury, an underlying injury, an underlying disease condition, instead of having them race, don't pull them out. And um, and that's I think, you know, that's their bigger point. So I think they're, they've, they've called for all the records of these horses. And the, the second one was, was really just an injury. It probably caught a foot. Yeah, the sad part is when I don't know if any of you play sports out there, but you know, playing basketball, one of the biggest, you know, injuries you're coming down on after a jump and you land on someone else's foot. Usually it's your defender and it, you turn your ankle, all right? It's not the surface's fault. It just as they say poop happens. And it's a drag and you know a lot of a uh, lot of us wear high tops and or ankle supports because it happens. It's very common. 
So when you have all these horses that are running in such close proximity, they're shoulder, literally shoulder to shoulder. And as they make a turn, you can just see how their bodies lean. So their feet now are sort of pushed out to the side. It's very possible to step on another horse's foot. And, um, and that's how, unfortunately, sadly, these injuries sometimes happen. Unfortunately, it was a bad break, and this poor horse had to be destroyed. Anyway, uh, if you uh, get the guts, you get the courage, or if you have the knowledge, give us a call. Um, some other things, you know, last week we had Hope Adams on from Dog Sport, and uh, one of the things I wanted to do, we were talking about water and exercise, the importance of this time of year and how important it is to get out there and exercise. And, and I've done, in fact, I'm, I'm speaking later on today at, at some charity event, I think with the, I don't know if you ever watched Vanderpump Rules, but with that whole cast and crew, they are, it's being sponsored, hosted by them. And uh, we're going to talk about some health issues and, and especially this time of year. But one of the things that, you know, people always ask me, about obesity. You know, how do I get my pet to lose weight? And as we've talked about many times here on the show, that it is the number one nutritional disease affecting our pets. And sadly, very sadly, a large number, certainly the majority of pets who are overweight belong to owners who are overweight as well. So I think it's important to get out there both. But there are certain things that we think about springtime. And it's not just the heat issues that we just spoke about last week. It's not just when to exercise during the day, to take plenty of breaks, to take make sure we have lots of water, never leave your dog in a parked car, all those things. We can talk about ad nauseum. But there are some other things that sort of come and go with spring that we need to know about. One of the spring, the plants and flowers. And we talked about that several weeks ago. Make sure to talk to your veterinarian about certain plants that are very toxic. Oh, things like tulips and daffodils, really the bulbs in the tulips. Lilies, very, very dangerous, will kill a cat. Crocus, sago palm. So there are Diefenbachia. There are so many plants and flowers out there that are, are potentially very dangerous to our pets. So it's something that you really want to know, read up on. There's so much information out there on the web to find out what you should be doing, what you should be planting, how you should help keep your pets away from your plants. Some other things, though. Heartworm, of course, again, talked about a lot. There's so much talk now about mosquitoes. Why? Well, it would be not sadly, heartworm has been around for a long time, and it is a killer, and it is very serious. And in the South, in the Louisiana, Georgia, Texas, it's sometimes a year-round. It is a year-round problem. Uh, Florida, in the Northeast, when it gets hot and muggy during the summer. And we're talking New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, all these, Ohio, Michigan, Massachusetts, all these states have terrible mosquito problems during the spring and summer. And yet people aren't talking all about mosquitoes until you hear about Zika virus. And guess what? Zika virus, there have really been no known reported cases here in the U.S. that have affected pets. Yes, there are some pockets where people have, may have been bitten and afflicted. Uh, it's a terrible problem for pregnant women, but yet that's where mosquitoes are now getting all the attention. For years, we weren't giving so much attention to mosquitoes, even though we've had heartworm disease for forever. So, and that does affect our pets. So with mosquitoes, at least we're learning a little bit more about the issue of mosquitoes. It's allowing us to talk about some of the mosquito-borne diseases that can affect our pets, such as heartworm, such as eastern and western equine encephalitis. I mean, that's a big, the, uh, what we know is, is that the West Nile virus, that's also mosquito-driven, mosquito-borne. The dengue virus and uh, the chikungunya virus, these are all mosquito-transmitted diseases. So with the Zika, for example, and some of these other reasons, I guess why it's getting so much attention and why it is involving our pets is because our pets are like, they can be like a taxi. 
they are carrying a mosquito potentially into a house that has people. So people can be bitten by the mosquitoes, even though you were not their first choice. The first choice was the pet, but the pet then got the, the bite. So that mosquito maybe not have been carrying heartworm, but one of the other diseases that can affect us. So therefore, we really want to exercise mosquito control, mosquito nets, uh, insect screens. You can get uh, covered porches, outdoor porches that are covered in some really good insect screening. So, uh, sprays, things with DEET, D-E-E-T, all can help prevent mosquito bites and keep the mosquito population in check. So that's important. And also, just know that mosquitoes are often attracted to stagnant water. So if you have like a pond out there, you have your lilies in the pond, you might have some fish in the pond, but understand that you can also be attracting mosquitoes. So for those of us in the West, don't be too cocky now, because now we're learning about mosquitoes that have adapted to our drier climates. So it's not now we're seeing mosquitoes that, for example, here in Southern California, I actually do have my dogs on mosquito prevention. We have a fairly lush backyard and I see mosquitoes in my yard. So now all my dogs are on heartworm prevention. Years ago, most people in LA don't have their pets on heartworm prevention because we don't really have that kind of population yet. But it's coming and we know it. And now that we know there are mosquitoes that have adapted to a drier climate, it's just a matter of time. Because when it comes to insects, we know that they always manage. Allergies, we again talked about flowers, plants, grasses, trees. Uh, we see a lot of pollens. And if you have a pet whose allergies flare up this time of year, chances are it is some sort of atopy. Atopy is inhaled allergens. So see your veterinarian. There are some great tests available. If your pet's allergies are pretty much the same year round, then I'd be thinking of things like food, thinking of things like some environmental allergen, something that's around the house all the time. Wool, kapok, feathers, dust, house dust mites, cleaning uh, agents around the house. Uh, we tested a dog. This is great. We tested a dog, got the results back, and it was allergic to three things. There were two, uh, maybe maybe four or five actually, but there were some molds. There were two pollens. And you ready for this? Human epithelia. That means just like sometimes we, especially when it comes to cats, are allergic to cats, this dog was allergic to human skin. So, uh, course they have to uh, treat it they're not getting rid of the dog the dog of course wants to get rid of the people no, i'm just kidding but we are going to uh, they have to start uh, treating and desensitizing to human epithelia and also going out there make sure that we when you exercise and again we encourage exercise make sure your pets have ample identification at least an external id a collar with an id tag of course with the save this life microchip you have the one has the ability to google that microchip number and uh, get the owner. The owner picks up their phone and the Google map pops up with the position, the location of that person who found their pet. So you can they can talk to each other. It's great. And also with products like Whistle, their activity monitors, but also GPS trackers. And so you can actually have a little medallion that is worn on the collar that is a GPS. Now, just remember though, with any of these GPS products, there are going to be fees, annual fees, just like with any GPS, but it's a wonderful safety measure to make sure that you have your eyes on your pets at all times. It's also good to use the activity monitor part because then you can see what your pets are doing during the day, especially if it's time during the day when they're supposed to be walked by that dog walker who you're paying. And guess what? 
you see just a flat line. That dog is lying, taking a nap. And that dog walker is probably sitting on a tree reading a book. All right. Also, uh, spring cleaning. Be very careful with any of the chemicals you use around your house, that they are tucked away safely. You should get childproof locks, even for your puppies. They're very inquisitive. They know how to open cabinets. Don't kid yourself or put them very high or keep them in the garage away from your pet's reach. Some of the very dangerous. If you have snail problems and you think about putting snail bait out, be really careful again. Because snail bait, taldehyde, is actually kind of tastes like some dog food. And it looks like it's pellets. So these dogs see all these pellets on the grass. And they go, oh my God, somebody dropped their dog food. I'm going to eat it. And what they do is they can get metaldehyde toxicity. Very serious. If you see your pet all of a sudden salivating, twitching a lot, like very nervous twitching, reacting to, to, to sounds. I mean, get him in. There's a good chance he may have eaten some metaldehyde. If you get it early, it is definitely treatable. We can make him vomit. And we can start treating supportive care, and they can do very well. Flea and tick prevention, of course, is a problem. That's a no-brainer. There's some wonderful products out there. The Elenco products like Trifexis and Comfortis are great for fleas, and heartworm Trifexis does both, and also internal parasites. See a veterinarian. There are some newer products out there as well that are oral products that are safe, that are effective against ticks as well. So, You got your work cut out for you. I want you to be out there. Enjoy this time of year. It's a great time of year. And once again, if there's any equine horse people out there listening and you want to get a hold of me, I'd love to uh, talk to you about some of the nuances about the racing industry. How real are these numbers, whether it's the, you know, 1.61 per thousand races or the uh, PETA's number 24 a week, or what do they say? Three horses a day across the country are dying on racetracks. That seems to be a lot. All right. Anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Werber. Once again, thanks to our sponsors, ProSense, uh, Pet Products, Kong Veterinary Products, Save This Life Microchip, Elenco Lily, Makers of Comportus and Trifexis. Have a wonderful week, everybody, and I will see you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>